From Connext Media, this is Atlanta Born and Brand. I'm your host, Jonathan Hilliard. Atlanta Born and Brand is a show all about businesses that are being built right here in the capital of the South. But more importantly, it's a show about their founders. We wanted to find some of the city's most interesting entrepreneurs and creators, hear about their challenges, successes, and how they built a brand that will last. But more importantly, we want to introduce these founders, brands, and businesses to the city they live in, their neighbors, to make sure Atlanta and the brands they call it home can thrive for generations to come. Who would guess that an afternoon of smooth rock hits with Yacht Rock Review could lead to the formation of a brand new company? In this episode, we talked with Andrew Rodbell of Post Meridian Spirits. He tells us all about that fateful day and how this premier ingredient cocktail company came to be. Uh, I'm an Atlanta native. Um, grew up right here in town, uh, off Northside and Collier. Uh, so the irony is, and we'll talk about this later, that's I'm, my new you know, facility is a mile from where I grew yeah. up. So it's all back home. But no, we're local to Atlanta for sure. Um, uh, went to Westminster, you know. Um, I've had the fortune of living in a bunch of other cities too. You know, sure. went to school in Philadelphia, lived in Washington, D.C., lived in London. You know, I even, uh, you know, spent my 20s in New York City, even spent a year abroad in, in Beijing, China. But wow. Atlanta's home and Atlanta's fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, and you came back after I did. all that. Yeah. Yeah. What brought you back? Um, you know, friends and family, but you know, I've lived in a lot of places and I've gotten to see the good and bad of all these, you know, Atlanta is a fascinating place. It's just, it's growing. It's got culture. It's got fortune 100 companies. You can have a half acre in town and, you know, spend a 10th of what you would in San Francisco. It's just, it's amazing. Um, and for that reason, it was really easy to stay, but also I came back to Emory business school as a test to see if I would like Atlanta as an adult. Yeah. And I had a great time. So, yeah. Have, have you had the experience of, but Atlanta is a completely different city than it was when I was growing up here in the 80s and early 90s, um, in a really good way. Yeah. Uh, in a lot, in a lot of ways. And as an adult, I've found myself just appreciating uh, some of the things about the city, both old and new, yeah. a lot more than I than I was able to as a kid. I don't know what your experience has been. No, very similar. I mean, I. I I mean, again, I remember going to watch the, you know, 4th of July Petrie Road Race. And yeah. That, you know, the Cross and Peel Hospital, they have the population of the city. And I remember yeah. being like a million and a half. Mm-hmm. And now it's over six, yeah. you know. And <laughs> then, um, you know, there's definitely a change. And it's definitely, I mean, my father grew up here too. So, wow. and, and my grandfather grew up here. So I can't imagine their, their version of the how much it's changed. It's but, rare that yeah. you, you meet a native Atlantan, much less a third generation yeah. Atlantan. So, so yeah, yeah, it's um, you know the city certainly has like a checkered past in many mm-hmm. many regards, but to watch it grow and sort of yeah. um, evolve has been has been really cool. Yeah. So tell me about uh, you go to Emory Business School, mm-hmm. uh, and then after Emory Business School, where does your career sort of take you? Yeah, so I came back to business school uh, in New York. I'd done advertising okay. and web development. And it was fantastic and fun, and it was hmm. an extension of my childhood. And I yeah. had a great time, went to concerts all the time. It was great. <laughs> but uh, I knew that if I wanted to further my career and get a little more than promotions, I needed to go to business school, and uh, Emory was great. Uh, ended up meeting my wife there, which is kind of random, yeah. but that was great. Um, and then, yeah, all, all very positive. Uh, and then I, my first job was actually with Adult Swim uh, at a business school. And 
Yeah, Turner, and so Cartoon Network. And so, again, it was pretty young. They had, you know, um, some smart people over to you know, Cartoon Network had figured out how to fill dead air because all the kids had gone to sleep <laughs> with something profitable, which was, you know, their avant-garde yes. adult-centered cartoons. And so, you know, it was a great job right out of business school. I learned less than anyone else in my peers because, you know, TV didn't pay well, but it was it seemed like a dream job in a lot of ways, and a lot of ways it was. Um, you know, I was I call it my anti MBA. Like everything I learned about the formalities of it all was thrown out the window because I just had to do things as crazy and as reckless as the shows themselves, yeah. and keep up with the crazy people that worked there. But yeah. it, it was fun. No, that's cool. It's funny you say that because I, being someone who runs a business without without an MBA, sometimes wonder how much of the things that I learn on a daily basis would I have learned and been prepared for in business school. And the prevailing thought is, yes, you would have learned a lot, but very little of the practical experience can be learned without actually going through it. Just the punchline of, I've been working on post-medium now for two years. I've learned more in two years than I learned in 25 years before then. So doing it on your own, you learn a lot. Well, I think a lot of it's about emotional preparedness as well, knowing that, you know, and learning in, in business school, kind of the, the ups and downs of, of what running a business entails and being prepared when those things come about practically. I think without that, you know, the first year of running a business for me was a roller coaster of, man, this, you know, we're doing great. This is awesome. Like, we're we can't be beat. And then, you know, next month being like, we're going to shut the doors. You know, <laughs> what, what's going on here? So just having, you know, the context of mm-hmm. the ebbs and flows of business yeah. and, you know, not getting too high or too low, I'm yeah. sure, um, you know, prepared you a little bit better to, to handle those things. It did, but I would argue it actually got that more out of the experience of working mm-hmm. for other companies and doing yeah. things and launching new products for you know big corporations. Right. That, that, I learned the ups and downs more there. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Look, I think... Experience is experience, hmm. you know, and I, I will tell you that um, had I started this company even 10 years before I did, hmm. I would have made some mistakes that I wouldn't have made now. Yeah. You know, it just, it really helps to have learned on someone else's dime sometimes sure. and then figuring out how to do it the right way and what you like and what you don't like, right. how to run a business and how to manage people and those kind of things. Yeah. So in addition to business school, I believe that like all my time at Turner and then at hmm. Coca-Cola... Yeah. have really rooted me into kind of understand like, you know, how to be smarter about my own decision making now. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about your experience uh, working with Coca-Cola. Um, obviously, you know, you've got some history in the mm. beverage yeah. industry. What uh, what did you learn there? What was sort of your role uh, with, with another great Atlanta brand? Yeah. So, um, again, going back to my wife, we were at, she was at Google at the time and we were mm. looking to go abroad because we wanted to do something different and fun mm. and, you know, experience life before we had our three kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Uh, she found an opportunity abroad and it was in Beijing, China. Wow. And so uh, there was nothing in Turner in Beijing, China. So I was like, <laughs> okay, well, I'll quit. Let's just go. And so uh, the irony is being an Atlanta native, I got my first job with Coca-Cola halfway <laughs> around the world. So I worked nice. in 2008 in Beijing, which was, yeah. if you remember, the Olympics. Oh, yeah. So I worked for the Olympic Project Group and it was a fast, it was just fascinating, fantastic experience. Mm. Um, uh, and then leveraged that into when I came back to Atlanta, no one promised me anything, but... Mm. Ended up finding a role in global marketing innovation and kind of mm. kind of built a career Coca-Cola from there. Yeah. But uh, no, I think one of the things I really love about Coca-Cola is just the fact that there's a diversity of people there, a diversity of jobs to do. Yeah. 
um, the resources are fantastic. Sure. Uh, I have nothing but pop- positive things to say. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it's also a big, slow-moving organization. No so, doubt. You know, and uh, when you like to be a little entrepreneurial and move a little bit faster, sometimes that could be a little frustrating. But that's true of any large corporation. Yeah, the bigger so, you get, the slower you move, it feels like. Yeah, Sometimes. I worked on some pretty fascinating projects, and at one point I was airing some grievances to a boss, and he was like, "It's it's a think of Coca Cola as a big ship. It takes a while to turn that big right. ship." So I was right. like, "Okay, thank you. I appreciate you rooting me there." No bit. doubt. But, so. That brings me to, to Post Meridium. Mm. Tell me sort of how did the the juices sort of get flowing, no pun intended, um, to start um, sort of developing this idea and, and who was involved in that process? Yeah, no, um, the story I tell is that, you know, I was at a Yacht Rock concert with a friend. Of course you were. And because they're fun <laughs> and they're great and I really admire those guys. Yeah. Uh, I used I, to work for the Braves and we uh, had them uh, at Turner Field several times. So I'm, I'm very familiar. You know them well. Yeah. I wanted a Mai Tai. It was there a perfect compliment to their music, mm. and at the venue we were, there was just beer, mm. bad wine, and just <laughs> expensive, terrible mixed drinks they called cocktails. Yeah. And it just kind of occurred to me that there's an opportunity that we're missing here, which mm. is so to deliver something authentic and you know full strength to people wherever they want it. Mm. And uh, I actually was at that show with my now business partner, and we just kind of kept kicking the idea around a little bit, and mm. you know... Coming from Coca-Cola, I, of course, did my due diligence and <laughs> looked at the competitive landscape yeah. and yeah. figured out how to do this. Um, and no, I mean, honestly, it seems like it was the right idea at the right mm-hmm. time. Um, again, watching, you know, craft beer make, you know, cans uh, premium again, yeah. seeing the success of wine and cans. Of course, when I was looking three years ago, I did not expect to see the boom that the yeah. Spike Seltzers are doing today. Right. But I saw them doing very well. So I, I think we're really on trend so that we're training people that something premium can come out of hmm. a, an on-the-go package. Yeah. But then what we did is we definitely attacked it different. And another lesson I learned from business working for other people is unless you're differentiated, don't launch. Hmm. I've worked on products. They've been Me Too products, and they try to throw money at it. It's, it's just hard hmm. to break through. So I t- t- telling myself, how am I different? How am I different? Yeah. And so what we really prided ourselves on, we're, we're going to be – Fully authentic in every way, shape, or form. We're fully committed to all only real ingredients. Mm. So we use real spirits. Our bourbon comes right from the barrel. Mm. You know, our tequila is imported from Mexico. It is the real spirits. Yeah. We don't engineer anything. All of our mixers, um, you know, are authentic. Our maraschino liqueur comes from Italy. You know, our you know curacao is real. Our orgeat, which is an almond, yeah. you know, uh, is, is uh, liqueur is real. All the things are real. Our bitters are not engineered bitters. They are mm. bitters from an award-winning bitters company. So we knew that if we had authentic ingredients and could create this thing in the right way, that there would be something different. Mm. We worked with mixologist, um, a prominent one here in town, to get the balance and the flavorings right. Yeah. We worked with packaging engineers to make sure we got you know, the, the, the package right. We worked yeah. with, uh, of course, uh, food scientists to make sure we're making something that's going to work really well for the long term. Mm-hmm. But overall, no, it was a long haul to make sure that it was different and unique. And we thought authenticity yeah. was what's going to make it different. In addition, the package. you know, So uh, the government tells us a cocktail should be 100 ml. And this can is very common in Asia. 
hmm. but not here in the U.S. So right. we ended up, and I'll get as deep at this as you want to, but hmm. we ended up building our own canning line. And so we're the, the second canning line in all of North America to, to create cans this size. How do you, how do you come to that decision to do that yourself and not to try to work with an, an outside company to, to sort of fit your needs there? So, uh, yeah, it's not an overnight decision. Mm-hmm. It didn't one we didn't take lightly. Yeah. Our original intent was to work with a contract manufacturer. Yeah. I've worked with contract manufacturers in the past. I know the pros and cons of working with them. Mm-hmm. We found the one manufacturer that had the can canning line we liked. Mm-hmm. And um, the conversation did not go did not go well. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll just leave you, it at you that. said it yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. You found the one manufacturer, right? So, yeah, it's sort of them or them or bust, right? Right, and then but we also looked at other alternatives between all the way doing it ourselves. Right. So we looked at okay, well, who's got a distilling license? Can we can bring in a canning line? We looked mm-hmm. at um, a bunch of other alternatives to see what, how it could work. Yeah. We thought about refurbishing existing lines to try to make it fit our product, which turned out to be not the case. You can't mm-hmm. really do that. So. We just started to run the numbers, and we realized, you know what? Owning it yourself, there's hmm. a lot of real benefits to it. Yeah. And the biggest difference, I think, is also the, the contract manufacturer did not want to work with real lime juice, hmm. which is critical because most cocktails are, by definition, a spirit, an acid, and a sweetener. Right. So we wanted an authentic acid. We didn't want it to feel sour mixed. We didn't want fake. I mean, <laughs> again, getting back to lessons I learned at Coca-Cola, if it doesn't taste good, People won't drink it. Right. And I don't think artificial tastes good. Mm. So we worked really hard to make it taste good. Yeah. That's what we're most proud of. But I will tell you, um, yeah, we ended up developing some technologies ourselves to make sure this thing works for us and, you know, wow. extending the shelf life as best as possible. And we're really proud of the work we put into this to make it happen. Yeah. And we did it in just a course of 18 months. So, yeah. Now, Andrew, all the things you just said spoke to what you were talking about, you learned at Coca-Cola of you got to have the operations down. You have to get a process in place that's replicable, that you feel like makes a quality product. All those things you just mentioned, none of those things are the cheapest uh, Mm. option that you could have gone by for ingredients, for canning, Mm. for, um, you know, mass producing your product. Did that stress you out? Um, at kind of at the beginnings of the company, knowing that you're sort of putting together a product that, that while the quality of the product you felt was paramount and it had to be that quality for people to buy it, you were, you were sort of putting things in place that were, that were going to make your product a little bit more expensive to produce. Did that, did that make you nervous at all? Oh, I mean, yes, but I will tell you that one, the investments were not as substantial as I had originally Hmm. thought they would be. Um, and then, but two, another getting back to a lesson I learned along the way. Uh, when innovating, pilot. Hmm. You need to start, get it out there, um, build your minimal viable product, minimally viable product, whatever yeah. the term is a VP, uh, and make sure that consumers are willing to make the value exchange, that they actually right. going to buy it. So George is our pilot. It's an expensive pilot, but it's a pilot. Hmm. Um, no, we built the capacity to service Georgia and additional uh, from where we are today. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no, but it was worth it. Because, mm. I, as I said before, <laughs> shortcuts don't pay off. <laughs> if you have a vision and you yeah. have a trends you're chasing and you need, you know, authenticity is one of those trends right. we're chasing. We know that consumers demand it. Yeah. And they want quality. Um, and that's what makes us a, sets us apart. So, yeah, no, I mean, I wasn't afraid also because we did really hard to do the due diligence. We ran mm. the numbers. We, you know, um, have a very detailed value chain. We understand what all our costs are and all yeah. what our needs are. And we're very 
thorough about how we approach every problem and we're very cognizant of how we're spending our limited resources. Mm -hmm. So, um, but all that said, the good news is that it's, it seems to be connected with people. Yeah. So, um, That's awesome. and the, and, uh, yeah, yeah I, I'm really excited about that and we're continuing to grow. We're going to scale into new States and mm -hmm. we're just going to, to keep growing this thing. So that's the idea. Yeah. So I definitely want to transition yeah. to talking more about the actual product, but yeah. I do want to ask you, um, just because so many uh, entrepreneurs and, and folks that work in the corporate world and then move to something mm -hmm. else kind of have this uh, gray area of still working the nine to five uh, and maybe having a, a side hustle that they sort of grow over time, or you know, you could do it like I did, which is not always recommended hey, the only way I'm going to do this effectively is if I jump in with two feet and sink or swim. Where were you in that process? Did you sort of start developing the idea while you uh, kind of were involved in other things? And, and how slow, uh, slow or quick is that process for you of sort of transitioning into, um, like, this is your thing? I went both feet. Yeah. Quit corporate America to start this. Hmm. Um, stopped taking salary, started investing in myself. Yeah. It was a big transition. Um, but... You can't do it any other way. Mm. If it's a side hustle, it's always going to be a side hustle. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, for us, I just had faith that the idea was, was valid, that we're on yeah. trend, that we are different, um, and that our timing was right. Uh, and then once you started putting the pieces together, it just started more clarity and more clarity. Yeah. Um, again, but I think I would have had a lot less confidence that decision had I not been doing this for right. 20 years. Right. Had so the, the context fact, with it. Yeah. Right. And so the context really made me much more comfortable. Mm. Um, I'm also in a very fortunate situation. My wife works and could help support mm. us in the short term. If yeah. Need be, you know, that's um, a real thing. And it's a real yeah. thing. So there's a lots of one to marry. Well, that's good mm. advice, but uh, yeah, um, <laughs> Indeed. And, and I did, um, but no, it's definitely, um, I think with entrepreneurship, you know, um, to do it right really requires your full mm. attention. Um, and that being said, you know, if, if people who are listening, you know, my advice is it just depends on, on where you are in your life phase and all these yeah. parts. Maybe you do do it on the side. Maybe you start to get the validation and build more confidence while you're doing something sure. else. But then when you're ready, you're going to have to be ready to go. Right. And so, you know, even as we were launching this thing, we still did validation along the way. We'd hmm. share, you know, flavorings with friends. We'd share ideas with people. We just kind of beat it around yeah and, you know again i appreciate people challenging our thinking so yeah. i always wanted to talk to people like right, what am i doing right what am i doing wrong and uh and keep listening so yeah yeah i know uh, it's cool yeah. uh, thanks for that context yeah. for sure okay your initial product line yeah that you uh, sort of came to market with you talked about um georgia is a big pilot yeah. for you yeah. so when you first hit the market and started telling people about this how are you describing your product if somebody asked you about it how would you sort of explain it to them and and you know, 10 to 30 seconds. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You're right. Um, we make full-strength, authentic ingredient cocktails. Mm. Uh, and they come packaged in these single-serve, ready-to-drink cans. Mm. And we're basically making a very complex drink effortless for you. Mm. Uh, but we're doing it without sacrificing any of the quality you would get at a bar or something you'd make at your house. Yeah. That's the pitch. Um, we are... We chose these things, and if you'll notice the packaging, the first thing you'll notice on there is the name of a recognizable mm -hmm. cocktail. Yeah. So another lesson I learned is, you know, how to get people to try something. Well, they <laughs> have to have some familiarity with it, yeah. right? So notice we our lineup includes an old-fashioned, uh, mm -hmm. a, a margarita, a mai tai, a daiquiri, and a gimlet. 
And all of these drinks are recognized drinks by the TTB, which is the government organization that, you know, regulates these cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> Our formulas are, frankly, not exotic. We do an old-fashioned like you should do an old-fashioned. Mm. It is three ounces of straight bourbon whiskey right yeah. out of a barrel. It's award-winning bitters. It's some Demerara syrup, and we add a little zest of orange just to recreate the garnish you get at a bar, and that's the drink. Mm. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to do it better. And so... If we have that same level of commitment to all of our drinks, the Mai Tai, for example, mm. we went back to the original Trader Vic formula and tried to do that as closely as possible. That's why we call it the 1944 Mai Tai, which is mm. the year in which he invented it. Um, and as you'll notice, there's no pineapple or anything artificial in this. This is the drink that he did. It's the curacao. It's the orgeat. It's the yeah. blend of rums. It's the real lime juice. Uh, a little hint of mint. And so those are the kind of things we wanted to do, which is just... We're not reinventing the wheel. We're just delivering yeah. it to people in a way that they had not been getting it before, to quality they had not been getting it before. Mm. And we think that that's what people wanted, which is some effortlessness, but still quality. So Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And tell me about your initial distribution plan. How are you going to get these uh, into the marketplace and introduce them into the public? Well, as you can imagine, it's a very highly regulated industry. No doubt. So um, you have to work through a distributor. Mm. So um, And in Georgia, you know, we just worked hard to find the right one. Mm. Uh, we ended up working with National. Uh, partly because, again, growing up in Atlanta, I knew some of the people that mm. that were there, yeah. uh, and also because um, we have multi-state ambitions, and they mm. are in a lot of states. Yeah. So it made a lot of sense <laughs> for us. Um, they've been great partners. We're working really hard to keep growing the business. Uh, when we launched in May, we worked really hard to to get in as many you know or the right accounts as possible. Sure. So um, we're in over 200 liquor stores now. We're in over 25 hotels, we're in music venues, we're just in all the places we think we need to be, and we're growing yeah. more all the time. Um, but uh, no, we've had a lot of success, and I think the distributor definitely um, has been part of that success. So we're yeah. glad to have them. But no, it's really, it's the hardest part is just putting out the product. <laughs> you know, you talk about entrepreneurship. So my first stress was, you know, making this, making this, making right. this, getting it right, setting up. And then once you launch it, then your new anxiety comes. Oh, I have to move it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, uh, then it became even more real. Hmm. So, um, but no, yeah, just worked really hard to, to, to get it in store, worked really hard to get people to pull it out and keep yeah. drinking and coming back and rebuying it, which is, again, the most critical feature you can ever have. It's a rebuys. Sure. That's all that matters. So Right. You yeah. got to build the, the brand loyalty of, of folks coming in and seeking yeah. out your product. Exactly. Um, you know, before you do anything else, really. Yeah. Um, Tell me about the brand, Andrew. Why? How did you choose the name, and um, sort of what was the story behind that? Yeah, post meridium. It's it's uh, it's funny part is uh, it's PM, as in mm. afternoon, mm-hmm. as in time for a drink. <laughs> so that's the name. Uh, I guess I thought more people knew it. Post meridium, you know, PM stood for post meridium. Mm-hmm. I'm learning that a lot of people don't. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I hope people start to call it more like a PM cocktail because mm-hmm. I think that's really what we want to do with it. But no, the name was literally just because it's. Um, we thought it sounds sophisticated, it was, yeah. Yeah, and it's definitely, but it's addressing when you drink. So sure. That's why we did it. Um, as you can imagine, it's a very hard category to, to find a name because everything's right. taken, but we're happy right. with what we have. And I'm very happy with the name, very happy with the mark, very happy with the, the packaging, very happy with the product. Yeah, you know, we're, packaging's gorgeous. Yeah. Love the packaging, by the way. Mm-hmm. How did you uh, how'd you settle on the mark? I don't, did you use... Um, Use anybody anybody with outside expertise on that? What were kind of what was kind of important to you in sort of establishing that first visual identity? Yeah, no, we did work with an outside firm. Um, worked with a few actually along the way to get it right. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, we have a shoestring budget, but we you know, know where to spend the money where we need yeah. to. Um, yeah. You know, for me, I just wanted the simplicity of reinforcing the sun and the moon. Mm-hmm. And then we threw the tree in there just to kind of make it more local to Georgia. But mm-hmm. the idea is just, you know, the, if you look at my can, actually, the branding's one of the least important things about it. Mm-hmm. I wanted people to know the name of the product. Right. I wanted people to see the ingredients that we're putting in there. And again, we talk about this more, but sure. ingredient transparency is critical right. in my mind. How do you say you're authentic? You don't say it, you show it. Right. Um, then we have a high proof, which I want people to appreciate. And mm-hmm. then know who we are. I also know it takes eight years to build a brand. Hmm. So um, we're working really hard to, to be known as the, the people who helped innovate the space, but or really did innovate the space. But, you know, we, you know, the branding, it's nice, hmm. but it's the other parts that I'm really most proud of. So, yeah. yeah. How did you, when you t- talked about doing the research before you started the company, yeah. what did you find out about potential competitors do you have a direct competitor necessarily or did you look at a market and say hey the white space there i feel like it's just so vast that this product makes sense yeah no i mean as you can imagine i spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. looking at the competitive set seeing what was on the market and then what was coming to yeah um you know what do you consider a competitive set is beer a competitor Mm. is wine in a can competitor um is a spike seltzer a competitor? Is a, a liquor-based seltzer as opposed to a malt-based one mm-hmm. a competitor? Um, would you consider something like a Buzz Balls, which is like a <laughs> low-quality, you know, cocktail-ish 200 ml <laughs> drink, a competitor? Yeah. So we looked at all the above. Yeah. And w- yes, we thought there was a white space. Um, and yes, there are more people coming into our space, but not exactly like us. Um, sure. It validates that we're on trend, <laughs> um, but we still feel like what makes us truly unique is our product. Yeah. So again, getting back to differentiation, um, there might be some other people in similar cans that are launching. There might be some people with high proof drinks that are launching, but unless you really have the attention to the uh, detail of the ingredients, you know, yeah. you're just another engineered drink. So right. we're very excited to be where we are. Um, mm. And uh, we think that quality will win out in the end. Yeah, and uh, I think the marketplace is proving that out. So, but no, competitive set. You have to keep walking, watching, and look. And there's new entrants all the time. And uh, again, I'll just say this: it's it, in one level, it's great, it's validation. Yeah. Another level, it's another, you know, people to kind of watch out for. Sure. And try sure. to make sure we're working collaboratively to grow the segment, but also own our share of it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a couple different ways to look at sort of evolution of a product or mm-hmm. in some cases you know like the company you used to work mm-hmm. for coca-cola we mm-hmm. talked about sort of the lack of evolution is one of their mm-hmm. strengths of mm-hmm. their uh at least of their you know sort of flagship mm-hmm. uh beverage what does the future hold for you do you think um do you foresee sort of a like an expansion of your product line or do you foresee listen we're gonna teach our customer base um you know these sort of you know, five, six, seven classic drinks, and if they love them, we are going to just kind of sort of expand through distribution. What What do you think the future holds for your company? I mean, you know, we've written our business cases. We have our ideas mm-hmm. about how it's going to grow. Um, but the one advice I would give to, just, to other entrepreneurs mm-hmm. is that when you have your vision, you have your plan, and you, you've, you've hit a chord, make sure you stay on that course. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes you get distracted by 
bright, shiny objects. <laughs> so the reason we called it Postmodern Spirit Company as opposed to Postmodern Cocktail Company is we're like, oh, we want the flexibility to do other things. And long term, I do. Yeah. But right now, no. Right. I'm going to keep focused on our core business. A lot of people are saying, so when are you launching your tasting room? Well, we could. Hmm. But I still want to focus on my core business hmm. first. Um, so we're excited about the future. We've got a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the short term, it's about increasing volume and how do you increase volume build awareness in Georgia get more people to drink it get more yeah. people to try it get more people to come back and expand in new markets and play that game all over again so mm. we're going to keep growing and uh, that's that's the goal yeah that's cool mm. last question yeah. for me is just you start the business um, here in Georgia mm. for obvious reasons you said it's home yeah. what um both positive or negative, I guess, have you have you guys kind of run into about um, sort of the uh, the foundation of your business in this location yeah. in particular? What what things about Atlanta have been really good for your business, and, and what things do you think will continue to sort of support it moving forward? Why why haven't you moved to a, a New York or or an LA or a San Francisco as as uh, you know we talked about previously? Yeah, um, you know Atlanta is a very entrepreneurial city. Mm. And getting back to something about when I was in business school, I actually took a course with Joey Ryman of Bright House, mm. and it was all about ideation. And it was all about, you know, how does a company that loses track of itself find its ethos again, kind mm. of reinvent itself along its, what it truly was meant to be. Yeah. And instead of doing a company, I did a project in the city of Atlanta. So I met with old mayors. I met with city planners. I met with the Central mm. Atlanta Progress. I just tried to understand the city of Atlanta. Yeah. And what I learned about Atlanta was that, like, it is rich in resources. It is boundless in its opportunity. Um, it's very entrepreneurial. Mm. Um, all those things are things I admire and love. Um, sometimes it's a little reckless in its <laughs> you know, growth, and sometimes yes. a little reckless in the way it's... And there's sometimes you need some boundaries to kind of restrict yeah. you. But um, I love Atlanta. Um, it's home, it's family, and I will be here. Um, ironically, in terms of the way the liquor laws are set up, this is one of the worst states of the union to launch a liquor <laughs> business, but it's home. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's also, you know, the for good or for bad, growth is a challenge for us, too. Like, we need warehouse space in town in Atlanta, and it's limiting because they're turning all the warehouses into office because mm-hmm. the land's so valuable. Um, so it's just been, uh, you know, all those headaches and things that come with it. But all, overall, it's a great talent pool. It's a great market. And let me get back to the fact that it's a great market. Um, it's really a testing ground for national brands. Mm-hmm. What happens is, is... If you can make it in Georgia, you can make it in Florida or New York or, or you know, Kansas. So yeah. what happens is Atlanta's got an urban population. It's a, you know, demographics are very, you know, all over the place, which is fantastic. Right. And it's got a very, Georgia is a very rural population. Yeah. And so if you can have brands win there, you can win in any yeah. part of the union. And in between with suburban USA, like exactly. the, whole, the whole deal. You got yeah. it. So we've learned that a lot of liquor brands use Georgia as a pilot. Hmm. So we've seen a lot of brands that are only, like there's a brand that's like, we're in Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Georgia. I'm like, well, why are you in Georgia? Because <laughs> they're trying to learn yeah. if they can expand. Yeah. And so that happens a lot. Uh, so Georgia's been a really fascinating place to be. It really is the front lines hmm. of innovation in this space. So um, it's been fun to be here. And um, again, proving it out here, I think will enable us to you know have more success elsewhere. But uh, it's also, yeah, again, getting back to the core, it's, it's home. Yeah. So. That's uh, awesome. And, and couldn't, 
couldn't feel like this is more home than possible. It's just yeah, um, I'm building the fourth generation of Rod Bells here, and so <laughs> it's it's great. So, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Fourth generation, man. That's yeah. crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, so I want to. Fin- I'm I'm going to finish the episode with you talking about home because I think it brings it back to to our brand for sure. Mm-hmm. But I did want to ask you about uh, the product that you use for the actual can. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were reading just sort of preparing for uh, our conversation with you. You can't just throw uh, ingredients into an aluminum can mm. and, um, you know, hope for the best when yeah. taste is sort of at the top. Tell me about how you selected, um, you know, the, the canning line you're going to use and why you use the materials that you do. Yeah, no, The again, the can itself was because it's 100 ml, which is the size of a cocktail mm. should be. So when you pour our drink over ice in a tumbler, it's a full drink. It looks exactly like you would make at home or you get at a bar. So it's the perfect size. If we were in a larger can, in a larger format, we would have to dilute the product and it wouldn't mm. be as strong. And I wanted a strong drink. That was part of what we wanted to deliver. Um, and then that just kind of pigeon told you too, okay, well, what are my options? Mm. You can look at PET, you can look at glass, you can look at aluminum, in this case, steel walled cans. We wanted to use real lime juice. Because uh, that's critical to what a cocktail is, and real lime juice is not like light or oxygen, mm-hmm. and therefore glass and aluminum are both let light in and is more porous, so it let in more oxygen. So we quickly ended up with the can. Sure. Uh, then we worked with you know packaging engineers and food scientists to kind of get it right from there. So we made mm-hmm. sure the liner was good. We put the product in cans as you would expect with any mature brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did stability testing. We put our product in cans and over the course of a full year we looked at you know uh, how's it change over time mm. you know we had other products that we were launching with that we were excited about that didn't make it because um, some of the citrus juices went too yeah. quickly so we had an yeah. aviation for example which we love in aviation it's a gin based drink it's got you know maraschino liqueur it's delicious <laughs> but it has lemon juice and lemon juice the shelf life is a lot shorter than lime juice and <laughs> we started tasting it deteriorate much faster than we wanted to and we said we can't yeah. put this in market so we killed a product we liked because it wasn't going to work over time so <laughs> you have to be choiceful about what you do and how and why but um yeah and the format was that and so you know we're very excited to, to say that these these products do very well over time in our cans mm-hmm. the can's a perfect package to protect our quality ingredients and um you know, it's just the challenges of having our own canning line are worth it. Yeah. It's worth it because we can make the product freshly, get your distributors as quickly as possible, get it to our mm-hmm. consumers as quickly as possible, and we can manage our demand planning on a dime, which is the yeah. benefit of doing it yourself. It's cool. Yeah. Lastly, yeah. lastly for me, yeah. um, I'm a strong believer in, in the, the phrase and sort of the, the motto that a rising tide raises all ships. Mm. You've sort of created with your business, um, maybe intentionally, maybe mm. unintentionally, uh, a sort of network of um, businesses mm. that sort of support one another because you use high quality ingredients mm. from, um, you know, the places mm. that do those ingredients mm. best. Is, is that intentional? And um, sort of talk about that sort of, like you have a team of, mm. of um, you know, sources now that, are sort of, you're propping up their business with your business. Talk, talk about the significance of that for me. No, no, I think it's interesting. I, I do, um, your partnerships are critical, mm. you know, um, but let me be honest, we're inventing a category here. Mm. Our suppliers didn't know if we were going to be a continual source of income for them or not. I mean, we, this is really disrupting a category. 
which is why I'm so attracted to it. Yeah. I mean, there was not a lot of product in this format at the time we launched. Um, no one's taken this ingredient approach that we've taken. Um, you know, there was certainly, you know, I was confident, but there's certainly uncertainty involved, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, no, it's now that we're starting to leverage our, you know, relationships and those is a little bit better now that we proved it out and people mm-hmm. are understanding who we are and how we're, you know, attracting new competitors and all that. Yeah. So, um, but no, no, it's definitely, I've, I will tell you one of the best parts about Atlanta is, you know, when I first came up with this side, you know, my partner and I came up with this idea and we we're working towards it. I was like, man, I don't know if I know anyone in the liquor industry. <laughs> well, it turns out you do. You know, <laughs> if you grew up in Atlanta, yeah. you know everybody. Yeah. So, um, you know, my lawyer's a kid I knew from growing up, and he's the expert <laughs> in, like, alcohol law. And, like, yeah. um, you know, again, the distributor that we worked with, uh, you know, the family I know well, and, uh, you know, I went to high school with them. And so yeah. it's all those kind of things that really have paid off. And even getting to other beverage entrepreneurs uh, around mm-hmm. town, it's been a lot of fun. So, um yeah, your network's bigger than you think it is. But the goal is, like you said, to rise all the tides, right? Mm-hmm. So we also want to be seen as a local brand that gives back. So we're at every charity we can. We're trying mm-hmm. to just donate products. We want to be seen as like a local player. Um, it's important for me. It's important for, you know, to get back. It's important for us as a company to get back to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, keep going to these charity events and keep seeing our product there and keep drinking it. Then yeah. That's a good place to sample it as well for people that are uninitiated. But overall, you know, we do want to lift all boats. We want to, you know, help our retailers. We want to help our distributor. I mean, we all have aligned incentives here, which is to 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 grow this thing and have, uh, you know, I mean, we're sitting next door to Sweetwater, and what were they yeah. 15 years ago? So right. it's just, it's fascinating to see. I think there's opportunity. Um, I just think it's just about how do we all work together and partner with each other. Um, but yeah, no, our suppliers have been great, and we'll continue to 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 improve them and get to the point where we were, you know, you know. You know, perfectly happy with everything where we're, we are now, but mm-hmm. like you know, maybe there's a better tequila out there. Maybe there's another sure. something we're, we're going to hear from. But you know, we're very excited about um, you know, where we are and how to work together with other companies to help grow this thing. Yeah. So yeah, we'll work on partnerships and we'll we'll do anything. Yeah. 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 Well, and as the industry grows in the city and and products get better, that can that can only be better for you, right? Right. You know, the, like like you said, if uh, if somebody comes up with a a better tequila if that manufacturer is local awesome you know the, that you know rising tide lifts all ships again yeah awesome well andrew thanks so much for taking the time no, uh, it was great getting to know you and look forward to um you know running into you down the line no please do and and uh and i will just say this one more time like i i think i want to give back to so talking to entrepreneurs along the way has always been helpful mm-hmm. if other people have ideas and want to reach out and have me kick the tires a little bit. I'm happy to do that. So that's um, awesome. Yeah. Cause, where can uh, where can we find you and, and your brand and, and reach out if, if yeah on, on our website at postmeridiumspirits.com. There's a let's talk. Let's <laughs> be honest. That's me. I will talk back to you. <laughs> so if you go to our contact page on our website, yeah. uh, you can k- k- start the conversation there. Um, but in general, yeah, seek us out. We're in, in liquor stores. Try us uh, uh, again. I think what we're most excited about is the fact that. Uh, people come back to buy them because the product is authentic and real and I think that's what people are connecting with and our goal in the next calendar year is to really grow this thing and to get more awareness so uh, happy to keep talking best of luck to you sir thank you appreciate it thanks Andrew thank you for more information visit postmeridiumspirits.com Atlanta Born and Brand is a production of Connects Media 
We're a full-service digital media company focused on helping small businesses tell their story in the most effective way they can. If you're looking to tell the story of your business, we'd love to help. You can find us at connectstatl.com. Special thanks go out to our producer, Catherine Hilliard, and the Connects Media team of Chris Hilliard, Mackenzie Bates, and Andrew Blaylock. And we also want to extend this opportunity for you guys to join the Atlanta Born and Brand family, at least the Facebook group, that is. And if you want to interact with the entrepreneurs and founders that you hear on this show, please join us in our Facebook group, the Atlanta Born and Brand family. We can't wait to see what connections you guys make to help make the city better in 2020.